You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. to take uh, some time over the next few weeks to um, focus on the dire need um, of Jesus in our life and, and at a particular point in history, at a particular point in time, just as God had ordained, that the greatest need that humanity had was met in Bethlehem. And I found it very interesting as I've been studying and, and kind of looking at, at the Bible that, that Jesus had a lot to say when he was on earth about why he came. As a matter of fact, as I was studying, there are 18 times just in the Gospel of John where Jesus explicitly says, this is why I came, at least 18 times in the book of John. And, and of course, beyond that, in the other Gospels, we see even higher numbers of that. John chapter 10, we can't clearly and completely wrap our arms around John chapter 10 without understanding John chapter 9. As a matter of fact, John chapter 9 is one of my most favorite miracle stories in the Gospels. Now, of course, Lazarus being raised from the dead is obviously probably my number one, uh, but this one would be a close number two if not competing for it because of what happens in this particular narrative. So Jesus is walking along, and, and he comes by a man who is blind from birth. And, and this prompts a conversation between Jesus and his disciples because the disciples have been taught their whole life that someone who was blind from birth or had uh, lame legs from birth or some other birth defect, that there was some sin that the parents had committed. There were even some sects of Judaism that believed that if an infant was born with some kind of ailment, that maybe, just maybe, the infant had sinned inside the womb. They believed that wholeheartedly. It's what they were taught in Judaism. So the question arises when they see this man who was blind from birth, the, the question arises from the disciples, uh, Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus responded in verse 3, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works, that, that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming. When no one can work, as long as I am in the world. And here it is. This, is. this is a key statement. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus goes on to instruct this man about how he can find healing. Jesus takes some dirt. He spits in that dirt. He, he molds it into mud. He takes that mud, rubs it into the blind man's eyes, and tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash in that pool and that he would recover his sight. Well, the man did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. And he comes back seeing, but by the time he comes back, Jesus has already moved on. And the next thing you know, all the neighbors are in an uproar about this man who's been blind from birth who can now see. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine never seeing the face of your parents, never seeing the earth, never seeing a flower, never seeing a sunrise or a sunset in a single moment in time? He could see everything. And I think with absolute 2020 vision. Well, the neighbors are in an uproar. Everybody's astonished, but this man can now see. 
And people begin to ask questions. Well, how, how is it that you were blind from birth, and how is it that you can now see? And all the neighbors begin to talk, and he keeps saying, well, I met this man, and this man named Jesus said that, that if, I would, if I would go wash in the pool of Siloam, that I could see, and this, this man, he's the one who, who healed me. The man didn't even completely understand. All he knew is that a few minutes ago he was blind, but now he sees. Well, they take him to the leaders of religion of the day. They take him to the Pharisees. They take him to, to kind of present him to the temple and present him to the priesthood to try to get some answers. Uh, maybe that, that at that point he can become clean and then he can participate in the temple worship. You would imagine that, that those who were the religious leaders, they would rejoice over this right. I mean, a man who's been blind from birth and now can see, certainly this is a miracle. Certainly this is something that we should celebrate. But there was one detail I left out. You see, Jesus made that mud and put it in the man's eyes. It just so happened to be the Sabbath day. It just so happened to be that it was on that day that Jesus healed that man's eyes. Not only did he take dirt and make mud and rub it in his eyes, but he tells this man to, to take a journey to the pool of Siloam to wash in that pool, and his eyes will be able to be open. You see, both of those things, both of those requests that Jesus made was against the Sabbath. Picking up dirt, making mud, guess what that is? That's work. Telling this man to go to the pool of Siloam, yeah, that's telling him to do some work, to travel, to do something on the Sabbath that he was not supposed to do. The, the system of religion said to this man that it would be better for you to remain blind. It would be better for you to, to remain blind than to break our laws. So they bring him before the Pharisees, and instead of embracing him, instead of celebrating, instead of saying, wow, what an incredible miracle God has shown up, instead they interrogate him. They, they even cast doubt upon whether he was actually blind at all. They bring his parents in, and they ask his parents, is this your son? Well, was he, was he born blind? And the, the parents are like, well, yeah, he, he was born blind. So, so what should be happening what should be happening is, is not happening. Those who, who claim to know God, those who claim to represent God, those who claim to have the words of God, instead of celebrating this man's victory, instead of celebrating this miracle, they actually end up hating him for it. And not only hating him for it, but the man who caused the miracle to happen. Well, as they go through this interrogation of this man's parents and this man himself, eventually this man looks at him and says, look, I've told you all that I know to tell you. All I can tell you is I was once blind and now I see, and this man Jesus is the reason that I see. They were angry with him. Eventually, they excommunicate him. Instead of, instead of celebrating and embracing him and, and celebrating the fact that God has moved, they throw him out. And as this man is now excommunicated from religion, Jesus shows back up. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, um, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, well, if I, if I knew who he was, if I could see him, then yeah. Jesus said, well, I'm speaking to you. I'm the one who healed you. And not only can I physically heal you, but I can spiritually heal you. The man put his faith in Jesus. And then Jesus says this kind of, it's kind of an enigmatic statement here where he says this. Look at verse 38 in chapter 9. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said to him, for judgment I came. Now, 
That's one of those instances, one of those 18, 18 instances in the Gospel of John where Jesus clearly says, I came for this reason. He says, for I came into this world for judgment or condemnation. That those, now listen to this, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may, who, those who see may become blind. Now that's an odd statement. Jesus isn't talking about physical vision here. He's talking about spiritual insight. He's talking about those who, even when the light of the world has come and demonstrates that he's the light of the world, there are those who choose to remain blind, even though a light is shining right in front of them. I heard this quote. I don't know who to give credit to, but this is the quote I heard. There are none so blind as those who choose not to see. There is no greater blindness than those who have the opportunity to see, who have something right in front of them that can change their life, yet they choose to be blind. Jesus often reserved some of his harshest words for those who were leading organized religion. Now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. Isn't that what we're doing today? We're practicing religion. Let me, let me make sure we understand what religion is. Religion, as defined, is that is that humanity has a desire to reach God. So we, we reach out to some God out there, and we reach, and we reach, and we work, and we work, and we, we try to pull God down to where we are. That is humanity's concept of religion, but you see Christianity is totally different. It's not us reaching out for God. It's God who came to us. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. God incarnate. God with flesh on. Born as a as an infant in Bethlehem, came to where we were. Because see, you see, folks, there's no way we could reach God. There's no way that we could ever be good enough or, or anything else to be able to get to where God was. So he came to us. So Jesus would often reserve some of his harshest words for those who were kind of leading the organized religion of the day. But make sure you understand that Israel, Judaism, was meant to be a lot to the nations, but they had failed miserably. And I think that's demonstrated pretty clearly in chapter 9. A man who was healed by their Messiah that Israel had been looking for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is standing right in front of them, but instead of embracing Jesus, what do they do? They're already plotting to condemn him and put him to death. Israel was promised a shepherd, and when that shepherd came, they didn't like him. Because he was not the shepherd they were looking for. When, when this light came into the world, they chose darkness. When, when this beauty came into the world, they chose the ugliness of the world, the religiosity of the world, to reject those that Jesus was embracing. And so it is today. That religion actually becomes a barrier to the light that has come into the world. Yes, even within Christianity, there are those who've chosen religion over relationship. There, there are those who've chosen to remain in darkness even though the light is brightly shining. There are those who would rather celebrate a baby in a manger than embrace a Jesus, a bloody Jesus who's hanging on a cross and resurrects three days later. It's a whole lot easier to worship a baby in a manger because that baby really requires nothing of you. But that baby who grew up to be king, savior, lord, who was king, savior, and lord, even while as an infant, would grow up and he would teach them things. And he would say some things. And often what he had to say was to watch out for 
the religions of this world that mislead, that destroy, that kill and steal and take and never give anything back that they promise. Jesus stated many reasons for coming. And one of the reasons that he stated for coming in chapter 10 is one of those that's often misunderstood. You see in chapter 10 it says that Jesus came to give an abundant life. Are you living an abundant life in Christ? Do we even know what that is? That's one of the statements he makes in chapter 10, but to really get our arms around, we need to see what he says in verse 1. So take a look at chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus starts out here by giving an allegory. An allegory is, is like a story or a picture that, that when you interpret it, there's almost like a hidden meaning there. It's not, it's not intended necessarily to be hidden. It's just that when we see what Jesus is saying, we begin to meditate on it and contemplate on it. We begin to see a nuance there of what he was originally trying to teach in the first place. In this particular allegory, there are several key figures. First of all, there's a sheepfold. What's a sheepfold? Well, we don't have a lot of those today, but the best way to think of it is kind of like a little pasture, a closed-in area, maybe fenced off. In Jesus' day, it would have been walled off by stone. And what would often happen is several shepherds who were leading large flocks of sheep, each night they would bring all of their flocks into a sheepfold so they could protect them so the shepherds could get some rest and know that the sheep are going to be taken care of. But inside of that sheepfold, there could be several different flocks by several different shepherds. So Jesus speaks of a sheepfold, and then he talks about a door, a single, single door going into that sheepfold. There's no other way in, only one way. And then Jesus begins to talk about thieves and robbers who are trying to climb over the walls. Instead of coming through the door, they're climbing over the walls to try to get at the sheep. And if you're climbing over the wall, just like if someone is trying to come into your house, I don't know, through the window, they probably don't have good intentions. He says here there are robbers and thieves who are trying to enter by climbing over the walls. Then he, then he talks about a shepherd. And this shepherd, he, he's taking care of the sheep. That is his primary role, to feed and care and protect and provide for the sheep. Now, there would be times when these shepherds would come to the sheepfold, maybe early in the morning, to, to divide their sheep out. And you know how they did it? The, the shepherd would come to the door and he would have a specific tone in his voice, a specific way he would call his sheep. The Bible tells us that shepherds not only knew their sheep, but knew them by name. That, that these sheep actually had individual names and that the, that the shepherd would come and he would call those sheep out of that flock. And those sheep only followed their shepherd. So you could have four flocks in there, four different shepherds. Each shepherd would walk up to the door, called his specific sheep. His sheep, down to the very last one, would separate themselves from the rest of the flock and follow him out. They tested this in Israel. I read a report or purport about this where they actually tested this, where they had sheep from shepherds that had been doing this for a long time, and, and they would put all the sheep in a pen, and they would actually take each shepherd, and they would call out to their sheep in the specific way, in the specific voice tones, and the things that they would say, and the sheep would come out. So they'd say, well, let's test this. So they would take another shepherd, 
dress him like the shepherd that was calling to the sheep and even have him mimic the voice of that shepherd, but those sheep would not come forward. Only the shepherd they knew is the only one they would follow. Even when they tried to trick the sheep, the sheep wouldn't follow. What do these groups represent? If, if this is an allegory, what is, what is Jesus trying to teach us in talking about sheepfolds and shepherds and thieves and robbers? Well, the sheepfold is none other than Israel. And later on in this text, we won't get to it today, but Jesus talks about another sheepfold that is going to be joined in with this sheepfold, and it's going to be one big flock of sheep. And of course, he's referring to the Gentiles, you and I, non-Jewish people. But for this particular context, Jesus is talking about this flock called Israel. These thieves and robbers were none other than the Pharisees, those religious rulers that had been, giving, been given charge over the flock. The problem is, is they failed miserably. Israel's had a long history of failing to take care of the sheep in their care. And of course, the shepherd is none other than Jesus himself. And when Jesus speaks... And when those sheep respond to his voice, they follow him and they won't follow anyone else. Now look at verse 6. John gives us this indication here of what's happening in the text. He says, this is a figure of speech used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus is going to have to unpack this. Jesus is going to have to take this allegory and he's going to have to unpack it. And in unpacking this, he's going to tell us very clearly, and as a contrast, he's going to tell us very clearly why he came. And he didn't just come for the sheep of his day. That this great shepherd, this light of the world, he came for you. And I know we're removed from him from 2,000 years plus when he walked on earth. Make no mistake about it. Jesus came for you. You see, Jesus has this incredible love and grace and mercy that he would leave 99 sheep and go after one. Maybe you're that one. And maybe you're that one sheep that has been trying your best to find life fulfillment in religion. And every time it promises to give you life, every time it promises to give you something that, that will fill that void in your life and you pursue it and you pursue it and you pursue it, and yet you're just as empty as the day you began pursuing it. It may not even be religion. It may be something the world says that you're trying to fill that hole with, but it never really fits, does it? Jesus wants you to know there's a reason he came, and the reason he came was you. Listen to what he says here as he unpacks this allegory, verse 7. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, anytime you see that, anywhere in Jesus is speaking, anytime you see Jesus say truly, truly, or in your translation it may say verily, verily, Whatever your translation, you need to make sure you pause. You need to make sure you hit the brakes. You need to make sure you're tuned in to what Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, notice what he says, I am the door of the sheep. So the first thing I want you to understand is Jesus came to be the doorway to freedom. Jesus came to be the doorway. He says, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He's not talking about Moses and Elijah and Elisha. He's not talking about the Old Testament prophets and that they failed. What he's talking about is, is the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the one who had oversight over the flock were not overseers. They were not shepherds. They were thieves and robbers. Why is that? Why is it that Jesus calls these religious leaders 
thieves and robbers because these thieves and robbers didn't care anything for the flock. They only wanted to use the flock and manipulate the flock and to get something from the flock, but never, ever, ever to give back. You see, the very heart of a shepherd is to love. We'll find out to love to even to the point of sacrificing their own life. But when you looked among the leadership of religion of the day, you didn't find sacrifice, you didn't find grace, you didn't find mercy, even though that's exactly what God had commanded them to be as a people and as a nation. No, what you found were people who were taking rather than giving. You found people who were filled with hatred rather than love. You found a group of people who, when a blind man is healed, they end up excommunicating him. You couldn't have more of a contrast between Jesus the Messiah and the religious leaders of the day than you have right here in this text. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. Jesus says that he is that single doorway, that doorway that we were talking about in that sheepfold. There was only one doorway, one way in, one way out. Historians tell us that shepherds in Jesus' day and even today, when they would put those sheep into that sheepfold, you know what the shepherd would do? The shepherd would lay down in the doorway so that anybody going in or any, any sheep coming out or any wolf trying to go in had to go by that shepherd. You know why that is? It's because the shepherd must care for the sheep. The very core of his existence, the very, the very reason he's called a shepherd is because he loves those sheep. Jesus says that he is the doorway. Now, contrast that with the thieves and robbers. They're crawling in over the walls. They're crawling in not because they have the sheep's best interest at heart. No, they're crawling in because they want to do damage. Folks, as a church body, as we move forward into 2021 and beyond, there are all kinds of things trying to crawl into the walls of our ministry, your home. There, there are all kinds of threats that we're going to be facing as a church in the next five years. And there are all kinds of issues that are trying to undermine the very things we believe in, the very things we hold dear to our heart, the, the, the God's Word, our fellowship as believers, our faith in Jesus Christ. There are things coming over the wall faster than I can keep up with them. By the time I study one cultural issue, that cultural issue is no longer the cultural issue. Now I've got another one to study. And the reason I'm studying is because I see stuff coming over the walls at my house, and no doubt there's stuff coming over the the walls at your house and make sure you understand they will tell you that they have your family's best interest at heart but they are thieves they are robbers they are killers and they're there to destroy your home and it's coming in from every direction it's coming in through the streaming service that you've got where you're watching your entertainment now it's it's coming in through commercials it's coming in from every direction it's creeping in and your pastor the one who's been given responsibility to shepherd this flock I am trying my best to prepare my mind, to weigh it out by God's Word, to make sure we know what is true and what is false, so that as those people are coming over the walls, we can throw them back over, that we know what is true, and we stick by what is true. But not only that, yeah, there are other people who are climbing over the walls thinking that, that somehow or another that they can become part of the sheepfold without going through the door. There's a whole lot of people out here who are hoping and wishing 
that there's some other way. That I, I, can somehow, I can somehow go around Jesus. I can somehow find a back door. I can somehow come over the wall and be part of the sheepfold. It, it may be someone who says, well, I'll just be the member of the church, but I won't surrender my life to Christ. M- maybe I'll follow through with baptism. I'll fool the pastor. I'll fool everyone else. And maybe if I get dipped in that tank, then everything will feel right, and I can finally get that peace that I'm looking for. You know what you're trying to do? You're trying to climb over the wall rather than going by the only door possible, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you're trying to climb in any other way, you may fool a lot of people on this side of eternity. I'll tell you one you're not fooling. The God of this universe who looks right at your heart, he knows exactly where you stand. If you know all the right words and you know all the right songs and you know all the right things to say when people ask you about your faith, when in fact on the inside you are cold and indifferent and lost, you may be fooling some folks, but you ain't fooling the one that matters. What you're trying to do is climb over into the sheepfold. And what, make, what never makes any sense to me is the free gift of salvation that's been offered. The free gift of salvation that's been put right in front of you. The light of the world that's been put right in front of you. The very thing you're going to celebrate at Christmas. You're going to celebrate Christmas without knowing the king. All of that has been placed right in front of you. And the Bible says it is a gift to be received. Why in the world are you trying to climb over a wall when all that is needed from you is faith and repentance? Why in the world would you try to come in any other way other than simply surrendering to Christ? Well, maybe that's the issue. That was the issue for the Pharisees. They didn't want to accept this kind of Messiah. They didn't want to surrender to this Messiah. Jesus says, I am the doorway. I came to be the doorway. I came so that you may know without any hesitation that I am the doorway. He proved it over and over and over again. He proved it by healing this blind man. He proved it by calling, by calling Lazarus out of the grave to life. He proved it when he raised him on, his own self up and resurrected and ascended back to the Father. There's nothing else left to prove. All that is left is for you to quit trying to climb over the wall and for you to come in through the door through Jesus, the only way in. Secondly, look at verse 10. I'll tell you what, but look at verse 9, because in verse 9 falls, feeds right into verse 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Make sure you pay attention to that. that those people that are offering you life, those religions that are offering you life, those, those addictions that, that are offering you life, look what they actually come to do. They come to kill, steal, destroy. Don't wait too late to find that out. Don't wait too late until your life is destroyed, until your physical health is destroyed, until you've put your trust in everything else but Jesus, the only doorway. Don't wait till it's too late to realize that everything that's been told to you about all these other things do nothing but kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, the second thing I want you to know is Jesus came to provide the abundant life. Now, we got to be real careful with that abundant life. The reason we got to be careful with it is because there are people out there preaching a prosperity gospel that says, put your faith in Jesus and you'll have a BMW by tomorrow. And if you don't have a BMW or a bank full of cash, then, then you're, you don't have enough faith. That's heresy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. As a matter of fact, what is the abundant life? He tells us right there in the previous verse. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, listen to this, he will be saved, he will go in and out, and he will find pasture. What does 
Jesus saying is the abundant life. Jesus says, you will be saved. But you may say, well, pastor, I don't need to be saved. I've got all that I need. Online this morning, you're watching online, you're thinking, I've heard this all my whole life. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. What am I going to be saved from? I'm okay. Everything's good at my house. No, it's not all good at your house because you have sinned against a holy God. Your righteousness is filthy rags. You have no work you can do to bridge the gap between you and a holy God. And when you die, you will face him without Jesus Christ and his blood applied to your life. And you will be condemned for all eternity to a place called hell, a place of torment. Wow, you thought we were going for a Christmas message today. Well, it is. It is a Christmas message. No, you need to be saved. Saved from what? The wrath that is coming. God in His righteousness requires that punishment be given out. Because you were born into sin and you chose to sin, and therefore you deserve wrath. But Jesus came, took that wrath upon Himself, and when we put our faith in Jesus, His sacrifice becomes our covering, our atonement, our forgiveness of our sins, and then we are made righteous, made right with God. So no, to have the abundant life requires you to come by the door. Coming by the door recognizes that you need to be saved, that you need to be right with God. That's that hole in your heart. That's what's been missing. That's the one thing you're clinging for. It's the one thing religion can't fill. It's the one thing money can't fill. It's the one thing more degrees, more education cannot fill. That separation between you and God, that that you feel every single day of your life, until you come by the door, that hole will remain. The abundant life begins with being saved and being made right with God. The second part of having an abundant life, you see where he says that going in and out? It means safety. As long as the shepherd is around, the sheep have freedom. As long as the shepherd is there and as long as the shepherd has his flock, this flock that he has called to himself, this flock that only responds to him, that flock is safe. And that's flock. They, those sheep have the ability to run and play and frolic and live the life that they, that they are called to live coming in and out, being able to go in and out of the sheepfold, there is safety, there is protection. So the abundant life is not only being saved, but it's also being safe. Do you know how many people in the last six, eight months have been overwhelmed with fear? You know how many people this morning are still living in fear? COVID-19 and all that that has brought and all the dangers and all the issues and all the separation that that has brought. But there are people who do not feel safe at all. That those who have climbed over the wall and are teaching things and telling us things and we're scared to death. And listen, we need to be careful. We need to be cautious. We need to make sure that we, that we do our part, right? But as Christ followers, we have a shepherd who watches over us. He even lays down at the doorway to make sure that he keeps the wolves and everything away. And the Bible says that there is safety, security in following him. That I can get up each day and I can live both on the side of let's be safe today, let's be careful today, let's make sure that we do what we need to do to prevent the spread of the disease. But on the other hand, I do not, I do not, I do not live frozen in fear. Why? Because I have a shepherd who's shepherding my heart. And that if it's by his will that I leave this world, 
today that I've just begun to live. I have that assurance. That comes from the salvation that I found in Him alone. So that not only there's a salvation, that we need to be saved, that's where the abundant life flows from, but also we are safe in His care. But notice the next part. He says, he says that they will go in and out and they will find pasture. They will find pasture. They will be satisfied. Saved, safe, satisfied. You know, the thing about religion is, and the pursuit of religion is it never, ever really satisfies, does it? I don't know what you're chasing after. I don't know what God you've got in your life, but I can guarantee you this. If it's anything other than this shepherd, you've not found any satisfaction. You've been reaching for it. You've been grabbing for it. Just like a, a donkey that has a stick in front of its face with a carrot. We run and we run and we run, but that carrot is just out of reach. We never find satisfaction, but we keep yearning for it. But we keep looking in all the wrong places. Jesus said these sheep that are part of his sheepfold, that hear his voice, respond to it, and therefore become part of his flock, they are not only saved and they're not only safe, but they are going to be satisfied. How in the world can a person be satisfied in this messed up, broken world we live in, right? Have you ever met any of these folks? Have you ever met any people who just seem to be satisfied with, with the life that they've been given, that, 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 that they're satisfied even, even when things are going wrong, even when they've got a doctor diagnosis that dispels any uh, insight into being safe or secure, they seem to be safe and secure. How in the world is that? Well, I'll, I'd almost guarantee you that behind all of that satisfaction is a shepherd that they're satisfied in. You see, that's the abundant life. Being saved, being safe, being satisfied. What else is there? That in Christ, in the shepherd who, who lays across the door, only he can provide that. And if you look anywhere else, you're going to be let down. So not only did Jesus come to provide a pathway to freedom, and not only did he come to provide an abundant life as defined there in verse 9, Jesus also came to feed, to protect, and to give his life for the flock. Notice this. He says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd in contrast to the bad shepherds that we just saw in chapter 9. You see, I am the good shepherd. And he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I think chapter 9 spells that out pretty clearly. That instead of caring for this, this man who, who was blind his entire life and now can see, instead of caring for him and loving him and celebrating the fact with his mom and dad, they accuse him, they rail against him, and then they throw him out. You, you can always tell, you can always tell religion from relationship. You can always tell the difference between someone who, who's put their faith in a shepherd who can save and protect versus those who've put their faith in a system. A, a system is cold and dark. It gives nothing back to you. It can't love you. It can't support you. It can't keep you safe. It makes big promises, but it follows through on none of them. I've seen this. I've seen people 
down through my journey as both a Christian and as a pastor, I've seen people who've put all of their eggs in a denomination basket. We're Southern Baptists. We don't make any bones about that. But a Southern Baptist denomination can't save you. It can't protect you. It can't give you what your heart longs for. We're Baptists because we believe in the sovereignty of God and we believe in the authority of His Word. That's what separates us from other denominations. But if your faith is in a denomination, it is a cold, cold, indifferent system. It can never change your life. You can always tell when people have put their, put their life into something less than this great shepherd because no matter how much they want to be loved, no matter how much they want to find grace, they never find it. It's always just out of reach. But notice how Jesus contrasts himself with these shepherds who are actually thieves and robbers. Jesus takes it to the 10th degree. He says that the shepherd, him being the great shepherd, him, he that separates him from all the other shepherds, he says he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now this, this is a strange thing to consider, that even in the nation of Israel, among the, even the greatest shepherds of the day, rarely would you ever find a shepherd that would die. A shepherd that would choose to protect the sheep and not go home to his family. Now, it may be that a shepherd protecting his sheep against a wolf may end up dying, but that wasn't his intent. His intent was to protect the sheep. Things went south, and he died in the process. But what this great shepherd is saying, as a contrast to all the other shepherds, he says this shepherd is intentionally, intentionally, going to lay down his life for the flock. Sounds like insanity, doesn't it? No, it goes back to the shepherd wanting to provide for the sheep, and the greatest need that the sheep have is to be reconciled to their creator. And the only way that that can happen is that this good shepherd, this this shepherd who loved people, helped the broken, healed the sick, raised up the dead, gave, gave strength to the legs of the lame, who did nothing but good things, good and lovely and beautiful things, who represented God on this earth, is going to be hung on a cross because of religion. Again, the cold indifference. Not only to this blind man, but to Jesus himself, the light of the world, the one they've been looking for for hundreds of years is standing right in front of them. And this is what religion does, folks. Religion will blind you to the truth. It will blind you to the light. And it will take you down a path of destruction faster than you can blink your eye. So this Christmas season... This Christmas season, are we truly going to worship the King of Kings? You know, we've got a lot of distractions cut out of our life this year, don't we? Your, your Thanksgiving and your, your day after Thanksgiving where most of the time you're out shopping. Maybe you didn't get to do that this year because, well, things are different. Over the last several months, you've had a lot of distractions cut out of your life. You've had, you've had more time to think and to meditate and to consider your life where it's going, where it is, maybe more in, more in the last six, eight months than you've had in your entire life. You've had more quietness. You've had less of a busy schedule than you've ever had. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, I know it's COVID, I know, but is there, is there something that God is doing through COVID-19? Is there something that God's wanting to do in your house? And in spite of this madness that we are in, yes, he's speaking. He's cutting some things out of your life. 
And as we come into Christmas this year, are we just going to go through the motions yet again? Make this about a consumer mentality. Make this about presents that we give to our loved ones. Are we truly going to focus on this baby who was yet, at the same time, the great shepherd of the universe? The one who's the door. The one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. The greatest enemy of the flock, the greatest enemy of this flock, is death and hell and separation from God. That is the greatest need, to be delivered from darkness into light. A few things as I close. A few things you might want to write down. Religion is not a doorway, it's a dead end. Religion is not a doorway, it is a dead end. It'll never give you what your heart needs. It, it will never give you the peace, love, safety, purpose, security that you're seeking for, that you were created to seek for. It, it will never give you that. And not only religion, but, but anything in your life that's greater than the great shepherd will lead you down a path of emptiness and brokenness. You see, whatever that thing is, whatever that master is, it's not a doorway, it's a dead end. And the amazing thing is, it will present itself as the path. Jesus said that there is a wide path that leads to destruction. There are many traveling on it, but narrow is the path. Narrow is the way. And there are a few who find it. Secondly, religion leads to self-destruction, not abundant life. You know, I think one of the things that always amazes me is, is that when I'm, when I'm talking with someone, counseling with someone, and, and, they, and they realize that whatever they're giving their life to has brought nothing but destruction into their life. And in that moment, I present another option here. For some, it may be an option that they've heard their entire life. For others, it may have been the first, maybe the first time they're hearing it. But there's another option on the table here. And even though light is staring them right in the face, when truth is staring them right in the face, they choose destruction. I've even had people who know what they're doing to their body, know what they're doing in their life, is going to take their life, but because this thing has taken so much of their life, they can't even conceive of an idea or possibility of ever being free from it. That's where it leads. You see, you don't control it, it controls you. It owns you. And false religion, addictions, they're terrible taskmasters. They take, and they take, and they take, and they take, and they take. And they keep saying, oh, this is the doorway. This is the path. Just do it another time. Just engage one more time, and, and you will finally find satisfaction. There's a reason the Bible describes Satan as the great liar, because he's good at it. He's good at it. Presents himself as light. This is the doorway. Walk through it. I know it didn't work last time, but it'll work this time. Try this religion. Try this God. Try this substance. Try this bottle of alcohol. Try this heroin. Try this crack cocaine. If you'll just do it again, you'll finally find it. Religion, 
These things lead to self-destruction. There's no abundance in any of that. Third and finally, religion demands more and more and more and more and more, but it never gives anything in return. Jesus says the great shepherd, the way you know the great shepherd, who he is, is because he would allow these same exact people who treated this blind man the way they treated him, Jesus is going to allow them to condemn him to death, hang him on a cross, beat him with a whip, put nails through his wrist and through his feet, put a crown of thorns on his head, spit upon him. Why in the world would he endure so much? Because he's the great shepherd. And the great shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But whatever you're chasing, whatever you're running after, I guarantee you, if you'll pause for just a moment and ask the simple question, what has this mess ever done for me? You'll find the answer really clear. Nothing but destroy. It demands, it demands, it demands, but it never gives you anything back. And therefore, there is still this empty barrenness in your life that you just cannot get over. Jesus gave all that he could possibly give to make it possible for you to become one of his sheep. Jesus' voice is speaking to you, or maybe you online this morning. He's been speaking to you for a while, and he's saying, come, dine with me. Come, be with me. I will protect you. I will give you what your heart desires, but you've got to come in through the door. You can't crawl over the wall. And it's going to require that you repent. What does that mean? Well, to turn away from all these other things that you're giving your life to that can never give you life and turn to him. He's done everything that needs to be done. Religion will take everything you've got and give you nothing. Jesus gave everything he had and offers you freedom. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the great shepherd. Because without him, we'd all be a people most miserable. Through his death on the cross, through the resurrection, I can stand before these people and I can declare without any hesitation that I've been saved, that I am safe in the hands of my Father who created me, and I am satisfied. It's a satisfaction that runs deep. It's not anything I did. It was a free gift of your salvation to me. So I don't have to worry about what's coming down the pipe. I don't worry. I have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about COVID-19. I don't even have to worry about death because you've taken away the sting of death. So Father, I give you praise because I am saved. I give you praise because I am safe in your arms. And I give you praise because I am satisfied in you. But not everybody under the sound of my voice is. Lord, your voice is calling. It's calling. It's calling people to forsake what they've been putting their trust in. It's calling to say, trust me. Accept by faith the free gift that I've already paid the price to give you. So whether online or in this building this morning, I pray that 
each person would respond. Father, I pray that for those in this building this morning, there would be no fear of walking forward if the Lord leads them. If you're in it, Lord, that they would have no fear, but full trust knowing that there's no greater shepherd than you. Online, Father, if someone is hearing that voice, maybe for the first time, that they would respond, that there are people waiting online to, to engage with them, to tell them about the gospel, to give them the steps necessary to respond and become part of your sheepfold. Father, have your will in your way. I believe your voice is speaking. I believe it's speaking loudly. And whatever the needs are, I pray that folks would respond by faith. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 